I was really proactive and I asked for it. Nothing was, nothing has ever been handed to me. Hey everyone, thanks for joining. We're with Jessica Peltz today that I've had the pleasure of getting to know through some fun, more like hobby type activities for me. But uh, when I asked for someone that's had a bit of a windy career, but gotten to do some really cool things, Jessica quickly volunteered. So I'm super, super happy to have her on the show, but more excited to hear about her career and, and what she's done directly from her. So Jessica, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, grew up in Minnesota, which you only really hear when I say I'm from Minnesota. I uh, moved to New York after college. So I've been here uh, almost about 19 years now, but started my career on the customer side at a global media agency. So I was running the, the media strategy, print and digital for brands like Gucci and Puma and 20th Century Fox and H&M and Verizon. Um, I was really fortunate that I was doing Verizon's media strategy from 2009 to 2012 which just, if we all remember that moment in time, was really a front row seat to seeing how consumer behavior was changing more towards mobile adoption. I did some of the industry's first iPad sponsorships with Time Inc., um, launched the Android device for Verizon, this terrible campaign called Droid Does, and we thought, we thought like only dull, we thought only like dudes would buy it. Um, yeah, but it was just, it was a really interesting moment for me in my career because it got me really interested in emerging technology. So I started really tracking the trends of adoption and, and how consumers' relationship with technology was really changing. And that's what got me really curious and interested in working with startups. And so here in New York, back in 2010, 2011, like the New York tech scene was just starting to bubble up a little bit. We were kind of trying to figure out what we were good at. Boston was really sort of like the main East Coast hub for the tech scene. So I started getting involved in the startup community and mentoring different companies and just really quickly realized that as a non-technical female, working with a lot of founders that were often more product or engineering focused, like they didn't know how to find their first customers. They didn't know how to build a brand, how to do content strategy, media strategy, community building, brand positioning. And, and this is how I grew up in the industry. And so Leaning into that just really helped me find my niche. So I left corporate in 2012 to go to a startup myself as a second employee of one of the first innovation boutiques. So we were helping startups find their first customers, um, helping big brands learn how to commercialize emerging technology. So that's when I was working with some brands like Kraft and Unilever and Mondelez and ended up doing some of the industry's first influencer marketing campaigns, um, mobile wallet campaigns, connected devices campaigns. And then from there, went to corporate venture capital in 2014, uh, which is where I really cut my teeth on venture capital. So for six years, I was running the corporate VC practice of a global advertising holding company called MVC Partners. It's now called Stagwell Group. Uh, so there I was investing in all companies, really addressing the needs of the modern CMO. So looking at a lot of things around data and analytics and commerce infrastructure and content type businesses. Left about a year and change ago to start my own firm with my partner, Kate Beardsley, uh, Hannah Gray, which brings us to today. And so now I, I have an early stage firm called Hannah Gray. We invest in all pre-seed founders, redefining everyday experiences. So really leaning into understanding how these just macro and micro forcing functions are impacting consumer behavior. Not just consumers, it's just 
whether that's the worker, the patient, the caretaker, the consumer, just how is their daily life changing to create areas of opportunity. So that's what I will say will be my last job because we just obviously plan to build and scale this for, for the next couple of decades. So that's how we got there. That is awesome. I mean, so much to talk about. Well, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. We like to kick off the show with the same question every time. When was it in your life that you first started to think, let's call it more intentionally about your career, um, where yeah. you were taking actions that were career oriented? It might not be what you were doing. It might have been picking a yeah. major like with intention or sort of, you know, sometimes people just like, yeah. Yeah, I'll take whatever. So like that time, we're like, this is gonna affect what I do. Yeah. Gosh, so many points looking back. So I I sold friendship bracelets and origami in elementary school. Oh, that's so um, awesome. My, that was my daughter my... just started doing that. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it sounds silly. I I mean, and my parents always say I was I was a, a born negotiator. It's just like my friends would call me chutzpah girl, like growing up. And I think that like, I think some of that just like shapes how, um, like if you don't don't ask, don't get basically. I mean, my mom jokes. I mean, this is like kind of a silly thing to say that I'm even like remembering this. But my middle name is Beth, and my mom always used to say that they they should have had my name should have they they should have had the the E B and O. So I should have been Jesse both pelts instead of Jesse Beth pelts. Because when I was little, I would they'd be like, "Do you want this or that?" And I'd be like, "Both." And I was always like negotiating. My mom, my mom literally pulled out letters I wrote to the tooth fairy when I was eight years old asking for more money and like why I should get $5 per tooth instead of $4 per tooth. And so I think that like just that business strategy and creativity around business negotiations is something I've always kind of thought about. But I would also say that some formative, more formative experiences that that I had growing up is, is like, I worked at Olive Garden, like you kind of learn to work with different people in that capacity. And, and I was a camp counselor at, a, at an overnight camp. And I actually think that like being a camp counselor just teaches you to be a business leader in so many ways that you don't even recognize that you just take for granted. Like you are responsible for 10 tiny human beings lives. You have to learn how to public speak. You have to learn to problem solve. You have to learn to think on your feet. And so I, I think that like I was fortunate if, if we if we do like a major throwback dissecting my childhood, that like I guess there's a few of these different points. Um, but then in terms of my being really intentional about my career moves, so I had an internship at a at a media agency in Chicago somewhere before my senior year of, of college. Uh, I went to Indiana University. If there's any if there's any Hoosiers that are listening, very fond memories of Hoosier basketball. Um, but so I had an internship at a media agency there and. You know, I I just assumed that that's where I would land after college. I had a great internship. I knew that I was going to where I was going to live in Lincoln Park and I was going to have these roommates. And I was interviewing with Starcom, which was one of the top media agencies for after school. And I was like, of course, I'm going to get this job. How am I not going to get this job? I like I did really well in school. I had this great internship and I made it all the way to final round interviews and I didn't get the job. And I was devastated. I was like, this is ridiculous. And at that point in time in my career, this was summer 2003, just to like time to step. So like shortly after 9-11, I was like, I'm not going to Chicago. I'm moving to New York. 
And I knew nobody here except for my brother who who was like a rabbi. So clearly like we're running in different social circles. <laughs> and my parents were like, oh my God, she's like, my parents never thought I, I would do it. But at that moment in time, and this is pre-LinkedIn days just to like date myself, I started to go down wormholes to think through how I'm going to land a job in media in New York <laughs> with no connections or anything. And I started to obsessively read the business trades at at my call at university and I would highlight different business leaders that were quoted in articles and started to follow when different agencies creative agencies and media agencies would win an account and I would email them my resume and say hey I saw you just won like the Kraft Foods account you're probably going to need to step up with assistance like I'm a senior at Indiana University I'm going to be ready to like work come this summer and that ended up landing me a few job offers um, in New York. So I would say like that was that was probably a moment in my career when I was like, I'm just going to figure this out and do it. And I'm just going to like will this into existence. And I still keep the like notebook that I kept because I had like a page of every single agency I would reach out to and like what press I read and who I reached out. And, and I think that like that intentionality about your career and what you wanted to do and having like a process and, and like operationalizing it is something that I carried with me through every major career move that I've made over the last 18 years. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, I'm gonna have to like go back and dissect that for Teal because that's essentially what we're trying to appify for every professional. <laughs> cool. So awesome. that's awesome. And it works. I think you're living proof that if people do it, you can be successful. All right. So that's awesome. We're gonna have to jump into some of the times that you use that. So you that works this sort of proactive approach, you got you set a goal, you achieved it. What was that first job? What was it like, you know, coming into that? Yeah. So my first job actually didn't really work out. So I ended, I ended up at a media agency called Initiative. Uh, I was working on the AOL accounts. We were, we were trying to make it the HBO of the internet doing different campaigns with the running man. I was a, I was an assistant media planner. Yeah, I was there like, a year to the day where it was like first day, something like August 14th, last day, like August 13th or something like that, where it was like my first job out of school. And I was just like, oh, this is not what I thought I signed up for. Like, I didn't really gel with the team. Um, I asked a lot of questions and I don't know if that's really like what they wanted of somebody in my position. Uh, and from there, when I went to Zenith, that's where I really found my footing and climbed the ranks pretty quickly. I was there for about eight years. So when I, when I started there as an assistant, when I left, I was I was a vice president. I was one of the youngest vice presidents at the agency at the time, and then went over to Evolution, which is this, the startup that I referenced. And I think there's a lot of learning there. You know, I think people yeah. take jobs and they're like, there's a lot of angst around like, oh, I gotta, I gotta be successful in it. Even talk us through that like one year mark. Was that, you know, what was the learnings in that transition? Was it something you initiated, they initiated? What was it like? Yeah. You know, obviously, it's a little different now. Now, like one year is pretty standard, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, I know, right? <laughs> but like circa 2004, it was like a big deal. I mean, I was like 23, 23. Yeah, I was probably 23 years old and just like crushed that like, do I leave New York? Like, why didn't this work out? Like soul searching? Am, am I like a failure? And and then I just do what I always do, which is like, okay, let's go back to basics of like, who did I, who do I know? And I ended up reaching out to um, some mentors of mine at that agency that really had kind of taken me under their wing. Um, and they were really generous with their network and ended up connecting me with who, with then a gentleman that ended up being my 
new boss at, at the agency who just like, I think you just have to find your people that you really connect with. And I think that like, that's the most important thing is, you know, if there's a lesson that I, that I learned kind of looking back, I was deciding between three job offers at that time. I was, I was fortunate that I, I had a few different options and I went with the one where that was the most money. <laughs> and, and for context, again, 2003, like I was making 30 grand a year. Like this is, and in New York, like every dollar, every dollar counts. And I went with, I went with the job that paid the most as opposed to the team and the managers that I felt I connected with the most. And I went into that, that first job being like, I'll figure it out. Like, it'll be fine. And I, and I think that like that experience really taught me to trust my intuition more in terms of just, you're a talent that they're hiring. And so it's also, do I want to make you successful? And do you want to make me successful? And I think that that's often overlooked by a lot of candidates that just want a job. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I don't want jobs, I want careers. And part of that learning was, was I think, like, surrounding myself with people that I felt I had great chemistry with and felt wanted to invest in me and my talent at that young age to help me grow and reach the potential that I knew I had. But I wanted to work with people that would allow me to achieve that. And I think that a lot of people that are looking for their first jobs just need to realize that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And so it, it shouldn't always be about, I mean, obviously like do what you got to do with like, if you need to take a job for the money, like you take a job for the money. But I, I think that like, if you're trying to be thoughtful about your career and future moves, like I always kind of looked at my career as two steps ahead. And I always kind of looked at it as like, okay, what, what am I going to be able to put on my resume? Who am I going to meet? What experiences am I going to talk to? What case studies am I going to be able to point to that is going to help me achieve my next goal? And so if I look at kind of these like three major pivots is the wrong word, but like jump leaps, like points in time in my career, it was like going from the media agency in corporate to then going to a startup to get operating experience as an early employee then going to corporate VC to now having my own firm, like I was very intentional in knowing that like I always wanted to eventually do my own thing, but I, I knew there was like skill sets and apprenticeship and networks and things that I wanted to learn to help give me the confidence to make me successful in this new venture that I have now. And I think that's just like a really personal journey for people, but I always looked at it through the lens of like, if I go, it's like a choose your own adventure, right? Like. If I go here, what could happen? If I stay here, what could happen? And, and like just being really thoughtful about like, it's like something that we tell founders all the time. It's like, okay, if I'm leading your seed round, what do we want the first slide of your deck of your series A to say? Like, what are those milestones, those KPIs you want to hit? And I, and I feel like I kind of internalize that for myself of like, okay, what, how do I want to level myself up and my career up with these experiences? And like, let me make sure I'm getting those and like creating those opportunities for myself. Did you think about your time at Zenith that way, you know, to go from, you know, essentially one year of experience to VP in eight years, that feels like that was, you know, you had to do some deliberate things. I don't think that happens by accident. So I'd be curious, what were some of the things that benefited your ability to, to sort of ascend at that pace? Yeah, I was really proactive and I asked Mm -hmm. for it. 
nothing was nothing has ever been handed to me. There's there's never been a single raise, a single promotion where they're like, you're doing a great job. It's like, oh no, this and this is maybe where the chutzpah girl comes into play. Is I would go into my boss and I'd be like, hi, this is what I've accomplished. This is my milestones. This is how I've contributed. This is where I want to be in three months, six months. Like, what's the path that you want to see to help me get there? And I think that like they appreciated that directness, but I was also really proactive in that I knew I wanted to get a, a pretty wide aperture of experience. So I worked on fashion brands, I worked on retail brands, I worked on CPG, I worked on telecom, you know, I worked on liquor. Like I, I really like every time we got a new account, we were pitching a new business, like I would have my hands in a lot of different things. And that also went to things that like around research that we were doing. So when I was working on Verizon, you know, I started the mobile task force, which like, again, today seems like silly, but right. you know, this was, this was circa 2010-ish probably, where or maybe even 2009, we're like, okay, this is what's happening with AT&T and the iPhone. Like, this is what we're doing with the Android device. Like we're starting to sunset talking about the Blackberry and stealing customers between carriers and starting to talk about people upgrading to their data plans and just, being really proactive about like, okay, well, let's zoom out. And what does this mean for the industry as a whole? Like, how are we going to track user behavior? How are we going to track metrics? How are we going to track like the viability of these business models as like Magazine X tries to sell me an iPad app? Like, are your, are your readers even using an iPad at this point? Like, what's the utility? And just like kind of creating that opportunity for myself to be able to be the mouthpiece for some of these new emerging platforms, just like number one, got me really just like passionate and energized and inspired about like what I would want to do in the long term to help me feel like I'm finding my own product market fit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But also um, just gave me the exposure internally for management to be like, oh, like, this kid is is like taking initiative and adding value in the process because they're making me smarter because like I don't know these things either. So I, I think that like it's just really important to be thoughtful about creating opportunities for yourself that you want to be able to talk about and learn about. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think it's it's very um unfortunately unobvious or unnatural. But I think a lot of people approach it with like, just work hard and it'll work things out. No. And that's, that's just not no. true. And, that, and the thing it's is, that's not. not, it's not personal, right? I think that's the thing is like, people it's like, yeah. why don't they value me? It's like, no, they do. They're just like tending to the people that asked and there's a lot yeah. of things going on and you got to do you like products don't sell themselves. Yeah. You've got to yeah. sell. And it's a yeah. really tricky thing because people like, want it to happen and they they really have like a lot of internal turmoil over it it's like you've got to be your best advocate a hundred percent a hundred percent and and you know when i was younger it, it was like uncomfortable it was uncomfortable right like it's uncomfortable to talk about money it's just uncomfortable as a young woman to talk about money mm -hmm. in in a lot of these environments and some advice that i got from, from one of my mentors was was just like take the emotion out of it this isn't money coming out of your boss's pocket. They don't care. They want to retain you as a talent. And, and I feel like once, once I was able to reframe my mindset around that, it just it helped me speak more confidently and be more assertive when I when I was asking for something, whether that was like getting promoted from senior buyer to supervisor or like supervisor to associate director. Like it it just like helped me talk more objectively about where I wanted to go. And it was also, 
I never approached it as like a threatening. Like I was never like mm-hmm. promote me or I'm gonna leave. Like I just think that's bad. That I just think that's a bad. Personally, I think that's a bad way to approach it. Like I never did. Yeah, I I never did the like pay me or or else. I I approached it as like this is where I want to be. Tell me. Let's col- let's collaborate on like what you need to see from me to to get there, and like what let's make sure we're on the same page of these milestones and these accomplishments. And then like you better believe I hit them and then some and then followed up, <laughs> and so then it put them in a little bit of like a, a place where they had to make good on it or they knew that me as a talent that they wanted to retain would 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 not be where they wanted to be. So I think that it was like that alignment and then that accountability of speaking up for yourself is is really important. Yeah, cuz I I don't I don't think you can just be like I deserve a raise. It's like right. do you? Why? It's like Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where and especially in today's day and age, I think there's a kind of just like this belief that you're going to be recognized and you know, it's just going to happen and then it, it creates this resentment and yeah. and it becomes very personal when it's just it's really not yeah. that's right it's, it's, yeah. it's a commercial yeah. relationship it's not a personal yeah. relationship and people yeah. can it doesn't mean you can't have a personal relationship with your manager you guys can be friends outside right. of work but like in the context right. of work it's a commercial relationship so totally. all right, eight years come i'm gonna assume like there's some level of like growth plateau maybe not not even in terms of comp just like you wanted to be learning yeah. new things experientially yeah. But that was probably yeah. a tricky decision. Like good growth trajectory, companies yeah. like really rewarded your growth. You're like, yeah. like loyalty, all this stuff. Like how, yeah. how'd you make that leap? Yeah. So fast so fast forward to twenty twelve when I was leaving, um I was leaving Zenith and went to Evolution. Naturally in True Farm, I was starting to, you know, get down a wormhole of startups and entrepreneurs and I came across Evolution. Um and I just emailed the founder, I was like, Hi, this is what I do. You should hire me. <laughs> And we had breakfast and we're just very in sync on the vision and how brands really need to future-proof themselves by learning about emerging technology and startups needed help bridging the language and bridging like these commercial agreements with big brands and doing pilot tests. So I was just very in sync with the founder. At that point, I was also, I was I was in my early 30s. You know, I was in a life place where I could take risks. I, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids at, the, at that time. And... <laughs> I made a weighted spreadsheet because, of course, I made a weighted spreadsheet of like, if I stay at, at Zenith, we're like, I, I was happy. Like, I was happy. I had a lot of autonomy. Like, I was I was working on a lot of different interesting pieces of business. Great perks when you're at the media agency at that moment in time. And but I just like asked myself the tough question is I was like, if I stay in this role for another year, what am I going to learn? Who am I going to meet? What new experience am I going to have? Do I need to be buying more homepage takeovers? Like, let's just keep let's just keep it real. And I was like, but if I go to the startup, which keep in mind, like we didn't have an office, I didn't get paid for a while. I had no, there was no insurance. Like we're talking like we're talking like three people in an idea. But I was like, if I go here, what? could I learn? Who could I meet? What new experience could I have? It's kind of this like choose your own adventure path. And I was like, you know what? There's clearly this like creativity bubbling under the surface right now in New York in 2011, 2012. Like you could feel it. You could feel like that moment in time. We were also coming out of a crisis vintage after the recession where there was just like so many incredible companies being created that I I basically said to myself, like, 
if this is an epic flame out, I can always go back. Like I can always get another job here and they're probably going to pay me more if I, if I come back. So let me, let me try this for like six months to a year. Like I also having kind of gotten the startup bug working with founders, like I knew I wanted to get my hands dirty and really get operating experience. And I knew that I wanted to be able to connect with founders authentically, like who were in the trenches and building. And I wanted to be able to really understand what that process was like when like we're waiting for an invoice to come in and I'm not getting a paycheck until that happens. And I think there's just like, there's just a lot of life skill sets that you learn. And so I was like, all right, we're, we're doing this. <laughs> and so that was, some, that was June, 2012. And that was, and that was just like, I mean, I'm still really close with one of the founders um, and one of our other early employees. There, there ended up being a crew of about six of us. And it was a blast. And it was it was fast paced. And we built together and we were creative and we were scrappy. And we were definitely dysfunctional on like a wide range of things as every good startup is. Um, but it it taught me so much around just putting a pause on the bureaucracy and the politics and just like giving yourself the creative license to build. And also just like what it means to be an entrepreneur and creative freedom that I just felt so inspired by that, you know, when you're in an agency in a corporate, like I, I was just starting to feel really suffocated and really handcuffed in terms of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to build. And, and it started to also create some friction for, for me in terms of like, I saw the direction was going over here and I would start to get pushback from some of the managers, some of the management owners like, Jess, why are you like spending your time tinkering on this like free pilot test? Like, I need you to focus on the $26 million contract with Condé Nast. And I'm like, that just isn't interesting anymore. Like, this is where the action is. And so, I mean, maybe friction is the wrong word, but like, I, I just like, my heart was being pulled in a different direction based on like what I knew I wanted to do and where I, where I knew there was going to be like meaningful change to be had. Right. And then when I, so we built that consultancy to a few million in revenue. Um, it's not around anymore, but I just like, I, as I was getting to know more people in the ecosystem, like I knew I wanted to get into venture capital and I knew I kind of wanted that to be my, my end game. But I also knew like, no top firm is going to hire like a, a, a marketing female in 2014. Like that was not happening. And so when I had the opportunity and, and was recruited into corporate VC, it was just, it was a really natural progression for me. Um, partially because a lot of the work I was doing the media agency side around vetting different partners is like one approach to evaluating businesses and opportunities. Uh, but VC is also just a perfect fit for me personally, because I just believe like there's skills and character traits of VC. Like you can, you can learn to be a VC. It is high school math. It is not that difficult. It, but the character traits that make a good VC, in my opinion, as an early stage investor is like, you have to genuinely enjoy helping other people build their business. You have to be intensely curious about behavior and macro trends and hypothesizing about what's going to happen in the future. And there's a strategic component to it around the portfolio construction and how that's going to make sense to deliver the returns you want. And frankly, like you have to be a connector and you have to think about your, your network holistically and say like, well, this person makes sense for this person. Like I might not know the answer, but like here's seven people that are smarter than me that do. And 
I just love that. Like that's that's like what I always do. And so it was just it was a really nice fit for me. So like I said, I I ran that corporate BC practice for about six years. And I mean, my partner Kate and I, she's just the best. Like nobody's better than Kate. We've we've known each other for gosh, for for about eight years now. And you know, she when we first met, when I first transitioned to corporate BC, she started Lear Hippo. And so when I was kind of dropped into the deep end of venture capital, it was like okay, read a blog, listen to a podcast, or call Kate, who was just very generous with her time and acumen. And, you know, that turned into us doing co-investments together and sharing deal flow. She's just incredible. And so we we kind of started plotting that we were going to do a firm together. It was kind of a matter of when, not if. And so when the time was right, for a lot of different reasons, both personally and professionally, like it's it's like we've never looked back and it's the best decision I've ever made. That's awesome. Which is, I think that, Something I've seen from the conversation that I'm hearing is you're kind of planning a couple steps ahead. And, yeah. but you know, I'm sort of in these conversations, I'd categorize you as like a career investor, right? You're, yeah. you were making these investment yeah. decisions in yourself. And the thing is, we don't really like, sure, we can like buy education and we should and things like that. But yeah. I'd say really our most valuable form of currency when it comes to our career is time. Um, yeah. And what, what I've seen some people do is they really, over indexed to like the short term return, i.e. like what's going to get me the most salary versus yeah. what's going to give me all these intangibles that are quite hard to quantify and are much yeah. more like belief based, right? Like mm -hmm. I have a belief that this will pay off in the future. I don't exactly know how to compute the ROI on yeah. it, but yeah. I feel like yeah. from hearing you talk that you've kind of operated yeah. that way. So now like in retrospect, yeah. <laughs> you know, what kind of advice would you have for folks, you know, assuming you can, like you said, right? Not everyone can but sometimes you can choose to sacrifice some things to maybe make some of these long term longer term investments and yeah. what advice would you have for people that are sort of maybe over prioritizing the short term and and i also think you know a little bit of a reaction i, I think the conversation right now is very much like a transaction or like we're, there's so much conversation around compensation get your dollars worth which again i think people should i and i think equal pay it. is important yeah. super important but I do think it's getting to the point of a little bit of like myopia on like some of that longer term benefit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that like, so number one, I, I really believe in just digging into your intuition and your gut of what you want to do. And everybody is so accessible these days. Like, you can DM them on Twitter. You can post them on LinkedIn. You can find their email online. Like there are just ways to get connected to anybody. Like it's, I joke, it's like my favorite game to play. It's like, name a person. I'm going to figure out how to get to them. I don't know how, but like, I'll figure it out. And I just think that like people should have, should think about number one, journaling. Like sometimes it's just a brain dump about doing audit of your professional life. Like, what do you like that you, that you're like getting energy from and that you really are feeling inspired and are excited to work from? And then like, what do you, what do you not like? Like, that was another exercise that I did when I was leaving corporate to go to a startup is, is like, okay, what about this job do I like? What about this job do I don't like? And then that just helped me have more clarity on like where I wanted to go. And so I, I think that like, if there's something just really tactical that you can do, it's just like, do an audit of your job. What what parts of it do you really like? And how can we figure out how to do more of that? Maybe it's in this role. Maybe it's another role. And then what are the parts that suck? And how can you shed that? Or maybe you can't shed that and like, let's figure out another path. But 
I think just having that awareness is really important for your own like professional accountability. The other thing that I did is in 2015, so I'd been in venture for, I don't know, a few months at that point. I, I went in there on fall 2014 is I was like, I've only met a few women in venture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I've been in this, I've been in this gig for like four or five months. I think I've met like three women. And when I met Sutian Dong, I was like, is there like a group or something for women in venture? And she was like, yeah, it's a Google group. It's like pretty dead. And so I was like, well, I selfishly want to know everyone and I like planning parties. So like, we should just, we should do this. And because at that point, I, I really recognize that venture is, venture is a game of chess and venture is a puzzle to put together because there's thousands of firms and you have to understand who invests in what, at what stage, at what sector, do people lead, what's their check size? Like you gotta kind of put the community together. And so that's when we started Women in VC, which um, today has grown into the world's largest community for women investors. We're now 4,000 women across 65 countries, 200 cities and 40 US states. And so one of the reasons that I've meticulously been building that for over seven years now is like, I now have relationships with over 4,000 women globally. As I think about how can we be thoughtful about pulling different investors into our companies? How can we be thoughtful about downstream capital? How can we be, maybe I want to learn more about what's going on in Seattle. Great. I have my entire network organized of people that are investing in that. If I have a fintech company that wants to scale to Europe and is raising their Series A, like it's just organizing your network with intention is really important. And so I also think this goes again to like, how can you create your own opportunities? Like what is a problem that you want to solve that, you know, of course, it's a huge service to the community. We get like the most wonderful, wonderful emails and DMs from people around the world. Their Slack group has over a hundred active channels. Like hundreds of women have gotten jobs through that. They've gotten deals through that. They've gotten mentors. Like it's just it's an incredible, it's an incredible force. But for me also as a fund manager and our competitive edge is, again, it's a Trojan horse into self-reported data on over 2,500 venture firms around the world. And it allows us to have a personal touch point with people globally in a way that most managers don't because they're not the admin on the community and they haven't taken the time to onboard everyone. So that's what I mean, where it's like, in 2015, did I have any idea where I would be? No, but I knew I wanted to invest in these relationships that I could carry with me throughout the duration of my career. And so I think thinking about like some of those initiatives that you could maybe do for yourself or for your industry or for your network and and really, I mean, I I just, I can't stress enough like how important it is to have a data-driven community and like a data-driven network and CRM, like so, so important. Yeah, um, completely agree. Part of the reason we're building that. So yeah. 100% agree. Shout out to um, TTL. <laughs> yeah. So as someone who I'd say is always looking at what's next and, and yeah. the audience is folks who are thinking about their career, which is inherently what's next. If you were starting your your career today, like where, you know, also given your your expertise and things, but like wh- where would you encourage people to go? Like, like what are the, the next big things that you think are going to create tons of career opportunities? Oh my gosh, so many different things. It's hard to pick one. I mean, we're spending a lot of time in Web3. I feel like that's kind of one of the most obvious answers. And I say Web3 because I look at it through two different lenses. Is Number one, like I haven't seen this level of 
creativity and imagination and energy since the early days of mobile. And when you just start to see builders coming together in a new way, like I think it's so powerful. And I also think that, you know, we're just starting to see the early days of the Gen Z worker and the way Gen Z wants to earn their income. And so that's why I think that this decoupling of income from traditional institutions in Web3 is really fascinating. So I would say we're definitely actively investing um, in Web3. We, we have four investments in the space right now. Um, we'll be announcing a fifth soon. Um, so that's an area we're, we're really bullish on is just what does that virtual work opportunity look like in terms of not just how are you compensated differently, but just how can you collaborate with new and different people in a decentralized way? which I think is just like a fascinating area of, of growth. We're seeing a lot of really interesting things in healthcare and mental health. And and again, it's, I don't want to say like, if I were starting my career and do this, it's, it's really, if I was starting my career today, I would really think about what, what, what projects and what problems do I want to work on? I would say like, I don't think that me coming from the side of a venture capitalist can be like, go to web three. That's where all the action is because like, I'm biased. Like, of course I'm biased. But I, I think if I'm just like an everyday person thinking about how am I starting my career, I, I, think, it's, I think it's doing a lot of like self-reflection of being like, what problems do I want to solve? What industries or sectors am I interested in? What do I like doing? What do I not like doing? And then how can I get educated about the opportunities in the space, whether that's following people on Twitter, whether that's looking at Crunchbase, whether that's reading different research about it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to figure it out, but I, I, I think it's something that like, you kind of get to the point, like I eventually did with Hannah Gray, my firm, I don't even think I said that, but, but like my firm is Hannah Gray, is like, I can't not do this. And I just feel like you sometimes get to that point as a worker where like you're so drawn to a problem or you're so drawn, which like I'm sure you feel with Teal too, is like you just, you can't not be attached to building that that thing. And I think that when you find that, it's just, it's really special and really just like an energizing, inspiring experience. But it's a journey to get there, right? I mean, it's not like I decided overnight. It's not that I even like knew I wanted to do this overnight. And so I think it's just really being honest with yourself about, what's working and what's not working in your career and in your personal life? And, and what do you need financially? Maybe you need more. That's totally fine. Maybe you can do with less in the short term. But, you know, like we didn't take a salary for months. And part of the reason that we started Hannah Gray when we did is because like we took the time to financially plan to be in a position to do that. And so, again, it's like a very it's a very personal thing. But I, I think it's being honest with yourself about like, OK, how do I budget? What am I comfortable with? If I do want to start something on my own, maybe that's for you. Maybe that's not. Either way, it's fine. But it's it's doing an audit of yourself professionally and personally to figure out what is that best path forward that is going to make you happy and make you excited to get out of bed and, and make you want to grow and want to help build that organization. I think that's awesome advice. And I think you're a great example of like patience, de deliberate patience, right? Cause I don't think that there was yeah. like a lack of urgency. Maybe that's not the best word, but I think like you weren't sitting around waiting, right? You were like no, taking action, you were planning. moving. Yeah. It's still yeah. like, you know, yeah. where you are now in terms of like high career fulfillment is it, yeah. you know, it took some iteration. And I think, I think, you know, this idea that we're gonna know what we wanna do, 
I think for two reasons, it's fundamentally flawed. Like one, yeah. we haven't had enough exposure and two, yeah. the world's changing. So really? like even the exposure that we've had, there's new things to be exposed to, right? Like yeah. web three is exciting and it's new and that's going to create all sorts of new things. So it's also, I think, engaging in this like natural curiosity and not, it, it's just not going to end. Right. So it's like enjoying yeah. the process. There is no conclusion to like career fulfillment. It's like you got to totally. just enjoy being curious and learning. Well, and I also think that we're we're at a moment in time where like the, the job you want might not have even been created yet. Right. Or the job or the job that you want, you might not even know exists yet. I mean, right. I remember when I got into media, you know, as an everyday consumer, like I don't think about how that ad got on TV. I don't think about like how that how that advertisement got in Vogue magazine. Like, I don't know. I just think, uh, advertisements. But once I got on the media agency side of things, I was like, oh, that's why this ad is across from this editorial and is buying this. Like, And I never even thought about a media buyer or planner as like a viable career opportunity. And so you, you also just have to go on kind of this like listening exploration tour where it not, might, might not just be things that you don't know exist yet. Like I said, I, when I was in growing up, like I had, you, you never think about like the science behind why something got where in terms of like mm -hmm. the media buying persona. But now if we look at Web3, like there are jobs that, that are being newly created and jobs that don't even exist yet. I mean, mm -hmm. there are people that make a living as like a stable hand on Zed Run. Like it's, <laughs> like it's crazy. Which for those of you that don't know, it's it's like a play to earn game where you you know can buy and sell virtual horses. And it's like that job didn't exist a year ago. And so that's what I kind of mean by doing a listening tour and being a student of just cultural change um, to see where you're drawn to and finding things that you just find professionally fulfilling. Because there's nothing worse than like waking up and being like, wah, wah. like hey, no that, interest uh, in... What a perfect way to end this episode, because that's that's exactly what we're after, right? We're trying to expose people to different things that people can do. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this that didn't know what a media planner was, uh, and they <laughs> do now. You know, they didn't know that these progressions you can take and that careers, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that 100% of careers are nonlinear, whether it be context yeah. or um, the occupation itself. So this was awesome. So much to Thank learn. You. How can folks follow along with what you're doing? Any startups that want to reach out? Like what's the best way for, for people to get in touch or follow along yeah. with what you guys are up to? Yeah, I would say follow me on Twitter, um, at Jessica Peltz. My DMs are open. Um, or ping me on LinkedIn. If you're a startup, you can go to our website, hannahgray.com, H-A-N-N-A-H-G-R-E-Y.com, uh, even though I think I own every URL that redirects you there of every <laughs> single spelling permutation. But we review and respond to every single thing that comes through our pipeline. So we're, we're pretty open and accessible that way. But I would just say, like, parting words of advice. Uh, I think words that I always lived by is just like, if you don't try, someone less qualified will. Mm. And I think that's just something that always drove me when I was like, who am I to start a venture capital fund? Like, that sounds terrifying. But like, you know what? I did it and we're crushing it. And you earn your place, but there are just, there are plenty of people that don't have your skill set, don't have your network, don't have your insights that will try. And so you might as well give yourself a shot because if you can't bet on yourself, like who can you bet on? And so I think it's always just good to give yourself that reminder. Could not agree more. 
I think, uh, you know, with imposter syndrome and just like all the things we see out there and people getting roasted and criticized for taking a shot. But if you don't try, you know, totally. the answer is definitely going to be no, and it's definitely not going to yeah. happen. So yeah. you got to try. Well, this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Jessica. So yeah. much to learn. Yeah, this is great. And also just like, we, we may need to do another one because how many people want to get into VC now that there's like a better I understanding of what it is as a practice. That's super cool. So thank you so much for the time. No, thank you for having me. This is fun. I appreciate what you're doing. And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.